This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Dive Bomb Squadcast. I'm your host, Asher Tolliver. We have turned over to another month. We are now into June, and we're officially into the summer. You know, it's... It's just crazy how fast time is flying by. I feel like waterfowl season just ended, but you know I did get some fishing in. Have gotten some uh, turkey hunting in. We're gonna start going to the lake soon. Water's still a little bit on the cool side, but golly, we're gonna look up and August honkers are gonna be here. It's just, gosh, I don't know where the time's going, but we are glad you joined us today, and we are glad to have our guest on. He's a good friend of Dive Bomb, YouTuber. He's become a uh, close friend over the years outside of just, you know, running our products and promoting us, but also a friend, you know, comes, sees us at Squad Fest, went to Game Fair with us, and uh, he's also just a great guy, Mr. Jordan Nisley. Jordan, what's up, dude? Oh, not a whole lot. Where are you joining me from today? Oh, I am here in central Kansas, in the middle of everything. <laughs> now, are you off work for the day, or are you still at work? You just hopped on the phone for a minute, or what, what, what oh, you today? Honestly, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to shape all out. Uh, I'm a butcher by trade, and my dad and I have the butcher shop here, so my hours are kind of all the time, a little bit more or less, okay. so... Now, uh, we we got through today's production, but I got a lot of uh, prep work for tomorrow to go back and get into, so jump on the phone for a little bit, and then uh, depending on if I want to get up early tomorrow or uh, keep going today, I'm not sure which uh, yet. Okay, so your day's not necessarily over today. It's just over if you choose for it to be over, but then you get the consequences tomorrow morning, so you just haven't decided yet what you're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. Never never do today what you can put off till tomorrow. I so. heard that. So let's talk about your day today right now. Uh, well, I guess to start out with, uh, my dad and I, we have a real small butcher shop out here and I'm mean, really, really small, you know, a couple of beef, handful of hogs a week, do a bunch of deer during season and stuff like that. But my normal day to day, um, let's see, Mondays and Tuesdays are red meat fabrication. So I'm cutting up, you know, carcasses and stuff like that and making steaks and pork chops and bacon and all that good stuff on Mondays and Tuesdays. And then we also process chickens, so we'll do anywhere from, oh, probably five to 800 chickens on Wednesday, and then Thursday we grind, so we'll make all the hamburger and sausage and stuff on Thursdays, and then Friday is my kill day, so I'll be slaughtering the beef and pork for the next week's production and tidying up whatever loose ends are. And then we also do farmer's market on Saturdays, so... April through October, I'm at the farmer's market from, well, I think we get to the shop here normally around 3.30, 4 o'clock, and by the time I'm done with inventory, it's about 5 in the afternoon, and go home and try and make a video and get some stuff uploaded in between. <laughs> so it, it's a lot of fun, but there's there's plenty to do. You're a busy guy. How long have you been working in the butcher shop or helping out there at the butcher shop? Uh, let's see. I've been at this one with my parents for, what has it been? Four years, I think. Okay. Something like that. I, I kind of stopped keeping track. I've, I've been in the butcher industry since I was 18. So okay. it, it's been a hot minute. So, so where did you learn how to do this stuff? 
Uh, there's another local butcher shop. Oh, it's probably 20 miles away. Started there when I was 18, did eight months in the, the retail side. Then they kicked me over to the kill floor on the plant side and learned how to, how to take animals apart. <laughs> and I know a lot of people's ears perked up uh, just a minute ago when you, we were going through your day and you said Fridays are your kill days. Uh, can you explain a Friday for us? What a Friday looks like for you? Uh, let's see. So Friday, oh, tomorrow. Well, my sister's getting married this next week, so we kind of had to move some stuff around. Um, she's actually getting married on Friday, so that screwed with my whole program. So and then Memorial Day, Day and stuff. Thursday this week. Yeah, okay. so I I got that bumped up, got some stuff shifted around. But uh, so a normal kill day. Let's see. Normally I have about three beef and four to eight hogs. And so I just uh, come in in the morning, get everything uh, gone over for pre-operational stuff. The inspector comes in, looks at the stuff, make sure the animals are all approved for slaughter, and then go through. And we have a real small crew. I do all the, the killing and skinning and gutting, and then I have a guy who does uh, washing records for me. So okay. it's, it, I'm not, not the fastest or the best by any means, but we uh, – we we do enough to get her done. So what do you what do you use to kill your animals with? Uh, so for beef, I have a captive bolt gun. It's a it's basically just a tube that has a bolt in it that you put a twenty five caliber blank behind, and you push the button or the trigger, whatever you want to call it, and it just launches it up into the up into the brain cavity, and it's got rubber washers around on the inside. So when it hits those, it bounces off of that retracts the bolt at least if everything goes correctly and it puts a puts a pretty good sized uh hole into the the brain knocks them down and uh for hogs i use an electric stunner actually it just kind of like a like a cow prod on steroids and it goes and it uh pumps enough electricity into them to knock them out and then i hoist them up and do my sticking and then by the time that they would come back from that they are already bled out and no longer a, no longer an issue for that uh, so okay which ones are the most difficult to kill bulls bulls a big bull those things i, I promise you their hide was the inspiration for kevlar that stuff is just so thick and heavy um i actually had switched over to the really really big bulls using a a 410 with slugs because really? my uh my pin gun mm, it'll probably do it but uh, the inspection actually, if I miss one time, they can shut me down for the day until I get everything sorted out. So, really? uh, you, you have, you don't have much room for, for error. So I want to make sure that it's a one and done in which, I mean, you want to do that anyway for the animal and sure. being ethical and all that stuff. But, uh, people are people, not everything's going to go perfect all the time. So you want to put all the odds in your favor best you can. How did you figure out the 410 with the slug was the best move for the bulls? Uh, I had them available. <laughs> um, oh, you didn't have some, to, like a buddy or somebody that told you about it. You're just like, man, I want to see how this no, works. I had a, a handful of slugs there. I'm actually out of them now, but I used to use uh, a what was that? It was a drawn a blank on what I used to use. That's not good. Oh well, I know at the plant previous that i was at we used to use a 223 okay. but i just don't like bouncing i mean that's a pretty high velocity round most of the time sure. sending that through was never never real comfortable so 
but it works good on everything from beef to buffalo. I know I used to shoot buffalo at that other place. That was that was always interesting. Does it drop but, instantly? Uh, if I did my job right, yeah. yeah. I had a, I had a couple that weren't quite so well, but that's been, as my grandpa would say, almost so long ago it's not true anymore. So Wait, when you say not right, you just didn't get it right on the the perfect spot. Like the animals fidget around so much, and you're having trouble getting it right where you needed it to be. Yeah. Um, Back then, when I was doing it, they changed some of the regs and stuff like that. Some of the the protocols for the for the company. Um, we used to the, whenever they bring a buffalo in, they would want to keep the skull, and so they wouldn't want us to shoot a hole into it. And so they would have us shoot them uh, right behind the ear in the spine, and so they would have a, a fully intact skull to clean up and stuff. Well, a buffalo is a pretty shaggy creature, and you have this little ear sticking out, and you kind of have to scientifically guess where that. Uh, spine is going to be and so most of the time i mean i I was a pretty decent shot and would get them but every once in a while you have a fidgety animal or some of those bulls and you get a one-ton bull in there that covered in this you know four inches of hair it it can be a pretty rough guess sometimes on where that is going to be so you get some rough ones but they change that now to where all animals get shot in the head and they actually don't even shoot animals there because they had an accident with a with a buffalo guy was trying to shoot a buffalo and somehow he fell and ended up shooting a guy who brought it in the leg. So they no longer shoot animals like that there. And I'm, I'm fine just not doing buffalo. They're, they're just a handful. So for the, for a bull, what are you guys doing with that? Just grinding it up? Just hamburger? It, it depends on the customer. Ones I, I don't do bulls very often. Um, if I get one for myself, which is very, very rare, I bet less than once a year, that's um, just a pure hamburger or if I'm making summer sausage or something like that, because, um, I mean, bulls are just tough. They're just a lot. Uh, there, I do have a couple clients, though, that they think bull is the way to go because it's leaner and they like the – they just think that's the best way for them. And so they'll normally bring in a real young one, but – I, I don't get it. I To me, a bull is a bull. Whether he's young or old, he's still going to be tougher than a steer or a heifer is. So, But it's it's each their own. I mean, there's Everyone's got their preferences. You know what I was thinking about when you were talking about shooting that prod was, have you seen um, No Country for Old Man? Oh, yeah. The, the one I have, the captive bolt gun, would just be, that's a pneumatic one versus uh, ours would be just a, one that shoots blanks. Otherwise, it's a pretty much the same thing, from what I can remember. It's been a long time since I watched that movie. <laughs> yeah, he's um, what's that guy's name? Javier Bardem. Yeah, what's his name. Um, I think something like that sounds right to me. Anyway. Yeah, he he's he's a very good actor, but that movie, that part, that thing always tripped me out. You know, he'd walk in these places and he'd start twisting the top of that thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that was. Uh, I know everybody knew exactly what I was talking about. As soon as I said, <laughs> no country for old men. If you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you also oh, never yeah. forget the haircut that that guy had. It was like this. Uh, you're gonna have to Google it. I can't even like explain it. It was just like this. Looked like a, a, a lunch lady haircuts. The best way I it was to describe it. It was one of those that's just etched into your mind though. You could I mean you can picture that guy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like the ultimate villain. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, that's all I could think about when you 
we started talking about those prods. So let's let's move on. We've we've been talking about the uh, the butcher shop, which is cool. I, I find it extremely fascinating. I think our listeners will too. But the main reason we've got you on here is because you are a uh, waterfowl hunter, a YouTuber. We started working with Jordan. What's it been, Jordan? Maybe like three ish years ago. Yeah, I think it's two, two, three years, something like that. Okay, right around there. Yeah, and um, Jordan makes YouTube videos, just real life, down to earth. What you see is what you get, type of videos. And um, he's done a done a lot of awesome things for us, Jordan. I guess to get started, let's just talk about how did you even get into waterfowl hunting? When did you get into waterfowl hunting? Ooh, I am about as fresh as they come, honestly. Uh, I, I had been on, I think the, I guess there's a couple of hunts that I don't count I think there was two goose hunts that I had gone on, you know, one, when I was, I think the first one was when I was 18 and it was one of those things where I was off and because of a snowstorm or something like that and went out with some guys that finally let me go along. And I think we shot one, maybe two birds. Wasn't real, real exciting. I knew it could be more fun. And I don't remember. That might have been the only goose hunt. Then I think I had gone on three mediocre duck hunts um, around the same time frame. Uh, just you know, going with some buddies down to the river and stuff like that. Some guys that I worked with, and it didn't. It wasn't anything that really got me hyped up. I, I've always loved shooting. I've been a wing shooter for a long, long time, and but I've always shot. Did a little bit of upland hunting. Uh, love dove. Dove's been something that I've hunted since. I was probably, you know, 14 or something like that. And it, it just, I like shooting. So I was, I was down with the ducks, but didn't kill a whole lot. And then about three, I'd say this will be my fourth season. I think coming up into it, um, got in with a group of guys and they, they showed me kind of the way it, it sure helped a little bit that I had a permission on a 10 K lesser feed. So that typically will get your foot in the door with a group of guys uh-huh. pretty quickly. And, uh, when uh, you you bring plenty of snacks, I've always been the snack guy. I'll bring snacks, six and summer sausage, which butcher shop comes in pretty handy for that. But uh, kind of got in there and did the work, hustling, kept my mouth shut, and picked up decoys, put them out, and did whatever, and got situated pretty quickly that way, and just sort of went from there pretty much. But it it was a little different start than a lot of people. I didn't have a whole lot of uh, I had one uncle-in-law that hunted waterfowl fairly consistently but he died several years back so i never got to hunt with him or anything but i think that's really encouraging though for a lot of listeners because i think people are intimidated thinking to be involved in this industry or to make an impact whatever you want to call it i think a lot of people feel like they have to have been waterfowl hunting their entire life they've got to be the kid that was going with their dad when they're four five six years old and it's just it's not like that you like you said you're on your fourth season and what you've been able to do through uh youtube and social media has been absolutely awesome so i think people can find that very very encouraging i don't think you have to start at extremely young age to be a good waterfowler or learn the ins and outs of waterfowling i think if you're like you said you're willing to go and just kind of keep your mouth shut not not saying that in a bad way, but as in like, listen and learn, you know, listen, mm-hmm. learn, and 
how can I apply this stuff in my, you know, in my own hunting and my own experiences, whether it be scouting or setting out decoys or shooting or, uh, you know, wind and sun and your blind placement, all the stuff, you know, all the inside stuff that comes along with waterfowl hunting. But I think, I think that can be very encouraging to a lot of people to see people that start hunting later in life and they're extremely successful because it can be kind of intimidating when you look at the fantasy world that is social media and you see all these, you know, awesome pile pictures and all these people that you think have been hunting for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, whatever, however long. And you think, man, there's no way I can get into that and be successful. Well, you can. So here's, here's your, your story right here to let you know that you can do that. Now you've got a YouTube channel, which is, absolutely awesome what have you been doing uh on youtube lately you know i know you do some pigeon hunting i know you do uh some just kind of homesteading type of stuff you've got quite a farm there at your house so what is uh, what is what is the spring and summer looking like for you oh it's i wish i could hunt all the time but it doesn't quite work out like that obviously but uh, a lot of the the summer and springtime content is I have I have a lot of ducks and chickens and goats and random stuff that I have hanging around the place and so a lot of just a little update like you said kind of homesteading type stuff it's it kind of just keeps me in the routine of putting up videos and stuff like that so it it's not the most fun thing for me to do but there's a actually there's a lot more people than I thought that uh you know enjoy the hunting type stuff but also like to see you know what pigeons I've got and I I'd really like to get on more pigeon hunts the pigeons been been a little bit difficult this year. There was some early on, but with with uh, some of the crops coming down here before too long, they should be a little bit easier to track again. But I'll get some pigeon hunts. I'll go to one of my uh, best friends has a dairy farm. I'll go shoot, um, well, starlings and sparrows and stuff like that around there. And if you can shoot uh, starlings all year, ducks are nothing. <laughs> Those things are quick, but do a lot of a uh, lot of that. Um, and I've got, let's see, I got a pair of Canada geese who hatched out a baby. So I got a few, few wild type geese. I think I'm going to pick up some specs here oh, in a cool. couple of weeks. So got some, got some little stuff like that and a couple more exotics. I was thinking about picking up a pair of blue geese, but I'm not sure that uh, I can flip the coin out there quite for that yet, but we'll see what happens. How many, but, how many animals do you have total at your place? Oh my goodness. Uh, there's probably around a two dozen two or three dozen ducks probably a dozen geese dozen or so chickens <laughs> uh probably a dozen goats pigeons Dang. it can be as low as 20 and it could be as high as 70 i'm not Holy sure it just depends crap. so yeah i got to make sure that those videos roll out every once in a while otherwise the feed bill gets a little bit ridiculous so <laughs> how many acres do you have total i'm on three acres three acres it's not much, but it does it does the job for me. Do you ever got into racing pigeons? Uh, I'm just kind of tinkering with it. I actually last year bought a bunch of old birds, and I I haven't joined a club yet and got all that stuff figured out. I need to build a, a proper loft to do all the training and stuff. But it's something I was planning on doing this year, and I couldn't get the the loft built because I needed to get a new car and stuff like that, and I kind of put a kink in the program of putting up a new loft but racing pigeons that's a that's an interesting thing there was a, actually a, a subscriber of mine reached out and they were going to give me 
uh, a bird to enter in this race called the Hoosier Classic. It's out of Indiana, and it's the I think it's the biggest one loft race in America, if I remember right. I might get some of these things mixed up, but I think in total purses, it's a little over like 1.2 million. I think. Holy I think first place shit. gets 200 grand. But what they do is they everyone goes. I think it's 800 bucks to enter, and that gets all your bird there. And they go through a couple of like heat races, basically, to kind of get the numbers knocked down a little bit. And then all these different lofts. Uh, the guy that was going to let me use his bird actually flies, uh, I think, in Thailand, here, and somewhere else. I can't remember. It might be India. Wow. I forget exactly where. But, I mean, there's there's some big Serious. money if you know what to do. <laughs> so you say Which, know what to do. I have no idea what racing pigeon how that even works i just know that people will shoot pigeons with bands on them uh and they shoot racing pigeons. can you just explain this how this works how racing pigeons how these events work uh, okay yeah the, to the, i mean i haven't participated one but to the, i can kind of tell you kind of what the the best of my understanding is anyway okay um so like this that big race i was talking about what they do is they send young birds that have never never been trained before and they get them situated to where they get used to that as their home and then they'll take them all out and it's actually i'm pretty sure they use a semi with big mass cages on it and every bird has a transmitter on it so everyone has a loft band so when the birds are like two three days old they'll put this band that is unique to the bird you know the organization a lot of times it'll have a club name and stuff like that on it um kind of like a tag almost and at the race loft they'll have one that they snap on that has a transmitter that when they land at the loft will keep track of the time of when they got there and the bird with the fastest time is the one that wins. How far One's apart that, are the, the destinations between? Uh, there's a lot of 200 mile races, but there's also a lot of six and 800 mile races. So I'm not oh, exactly sure how far yeah. the Hoosier is, but uh, I mean, there's birds. They'll fly that 600 miles. If I remember right, in 16 hours, if I remember right, what? like they'll, they'll, it's like a day. How many birds do you think complete that thing? Most of them. Really? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. when somebody shoots a pigeon ban, is that a racer that's just he got off course maybe temporarily, or do you think he permanently got off course and made that his home? Well, I'm guessing the majority of them are either they're fancier birds where people are, you know, not real serious about it, and they just sort of have pigeons they ban them just to keep track of everything because all your racers are all pedigree. They can trace them back. You know, it's kind of like racehorses. Um, so some guys will do that just for fun. I'm guessing most of the bands though, that people shoot are ones that are birds in training. And, you know, I've actually, when I did some pigeon trapping, I've caught birds like that before I'll call up the club owner. Cause you can report them and, uh, get in touch with the owner and stuff like that. And a lot of them, they're like, well, if the bird got lost, you know, he's not doing his job. He's not worth anything. So, <laughs> so they don't have really, some that, they don't care if they get shot then because they're it, like, ah, he ain't, he's not going to be a winner anyway. And for me, it's about 50-50. I've, I've had about half the guys. Normally, it seems like the older guys are like, well, thanks for letting me know where he's at. You know, on once I shot and stuff like that, he's like, you know, they can get hit by a hawk or blown off course by a storm. You never know. And it's kind of nice to know where they're 
landed and ended up. And then I've had guys that were downright not very nice about it. It kind of made you wonder if it was worth calling and telling them what happened to the birds. So, but I mean, yeah, most, I mean, every once in a while you'll have one that just gets love struck with a bunch of feral birds, gets sidetracked or, you know, blown off by a storm. Some of them, they're just, their stamina wasn't quite high enough to get sidetracked and end up stopping at a farm somewhere and just forget to leave. So there, there's lots of different ways that it can happen, I'm sure. So can you, I guess you can get the age from these people when you call them, be like, find out how old your pigeon was? Um, I'm sure that, I'm sure it depends on the person, but they would have all the information uh, or should have all the information when they, when they do it. But yeah, it, some, it just depends on your guy. Some might be too, <laughs> too happy if you shot his prize pigeon. Yeah, there's one guy that I called. He was a really nice old dude. And he's like, oh, actually, that one's my brother's bird. I'm like, okay, well, what can you tell me about it? I was like, well, he was flying from Texas, and I'm here in Oklahoma, and just ran through a bunch of different stuff. I don't remember how old the bird was, but he's like, if you could mail me the transmitter band, that would help me out. So I did that, and I there was one guy who lived about 45 minutes from my house, and you could tell he was – pretty irritated that i had shot his bird on this pigeon hunt and i'm like dude he came in with a bunch of ferals i mean obviously he wasn't real concerned about getting home but whatever wow so that's a big deal i didn't realize how big big of a thing that was so a lot of these banded pigeons that people are shooting a lot of them probably just belong to a a loft somewhere and they're not necessarily like racing pigeons most of them probably aren't actually in a race anymore. I would really doubt because a lot of those birds will fly pretty heavy together. Um, but it could be either just a local loft like that. Um, there's probably, I'd probably, if I had to guess, I'd probably put it about half and half, you know, just local birds getting out that someone had a, you know, a little loft at their place versus uh, people, you know, training. Cause when you train your pigeon, you got to, I think the first time I take them a mile from the house, then you take them 10 miles, let them fly back. And then you're driving them 50 miles. And, you know, you gotta, gotta build them up. You can't just take a, take a pigeon from your loft right. and drive it a couple hundred miles and let it go and be like, home's that way, bud. Huh. So do you know how much time they get to normally complete these events? Not off the top of my head. I'm trying to remember. Cause I, I mean, I guess I it doesn't matter said, once the first, whatever, however many places are being paid out, I guess once they all finish it, really doesn't matter when they come yeah it's it's whoever's fastest for sure i know a lot of guys don't like to fly a hen bird because the cockbirds kind of sometimes get distracted by (laughs) what ladies might be flying around and a hen will typically just go straight to the the timer pad go to the loft to get something to eat so but i don't know there's it's a it's a crazy world to to look into you can go as deep and as expensive as you want to go pretty quickly that is very very interesting i'd did not know all that about uh, pigeons and racing pigeons. So that's pretty cool. Do you have bands on your pigeons? Uh, about half of them I do. Um, I don't have any numbered bands right now. A lot of them I'm just putting little aluminum aluminum side-on bands. I was actually going to order some that looked like uh, goose bands, you know, the actual ones like the, the yeah. heads use, but I I haven't gotten that far yet. But Has anybody I, ever I think it would be kind of fun to pigeons? do that. Oh yeah, I had. <laughs> it was actually a a guy. Is a I live pretty close to Bobby Guy, and back before I knew him at all, uh, they hunted a field that was about a mile and a half from my house, and I went from a bunch of pigeons to not very many in about a week. And 
it uh <laughs> i found out like oh that's where they went because i used to free fly a bunch of them so i don't free fly them anymore but yeah i'm i'm sure i've had my my fair fly, share bird just, they got free reign to the place to come in come and go as they please yeah so i just let them let them out in the morning and they go basically forage and stuff like that i live about um, half a mile or so from a, a railroad track where they do a lot of interchange stuff with cars and stuff like that and so there's always grain on the tracks and so they go up there and eat and then come back and between people shooting them and owls it it got pretty rough for a while so but well, that's cool that's all very very interesting stuff what's your favorite type of birds to chase whether it's uh, geese pigeons <laughs> starling it's uh, <laughs> i I like shooting about anything. Dove has always got a real soft spot for me just because you can shoot 15 of them. I like shooting at something I've done for a long time. Ducks, though, ducks are starting to get real, real near and dear if I can find a good spot to shoot them at. But um, then there's, you know, just the challenge of trying to get lessers to do it. This, I guess it depends on how, how much of a challenge I want for that day. If I just want to go out and shoot, Dove is where I need to be at, but... If I want to really risk getting my butt handed to me, which happens more often than not on lessers, then I guess we'll go that route. I'd probably say ducks is probably pretty close to one of my favorites, though. Well, yeah, I guess I'll just make make the question a little simpler. If you could only shoot one bird the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, I don't want to pick one, though. Um, shoot, let's see. Man, I'd, if I could only do it for the rest of my life, I'd probably pick geese just because more opportunity. just – more opportunity and they're just a harder challenge too i i think because i being a you know 32 or you know i was 32 when i started trying to blow a call and i I still sound like i'm starting to blow a call (laughs) and so that it's a pretty it's pretty rewarding for me when i actually get a a goose to come and do it right so ducks ducks seem to treat me pretty well if you got that spinner out there but yeah do you have any plans for, for the upcoming season for uh hunts or your youtube channel or what do you what do you got in the works um let's see i'm hoping trying to get some stuff figured out and get uh up maybe to dakotas to shoot some early honkers i'd like to try and get that done gotta gotta figure out exactly how i'm gonna do all that yet um i'd really like to do that maybe um might be going to missouri again to try and shoot some ducks at some point but most of the stuff will probably be sitting right around home, uh, at least at this point, because uh, the butcher shop kind of gets real busy around hunting time because mm-hmm. people start bringing me more stuff, and it's a little, little harder to figure out exactly when to take a trip. But I'm I'm hoping to really get into get into some lessers this year again, and hopefully we hopefully we'll have water again this or hopefully we'll have water back this year to where we can shoot some more ducks. But mm-hmm. it was it was just kind of a rough year for them here. For YouTube, that's a lot of work. Like you're talking about, even right now, you're spending, you're waking up early, you're getting home late, and then you're trying to find time to get YouTube. From the outside looking in, it just like, like, man, these guys are, they've got all these subscribers, and this is easy. They're just making these videos and making money on YouTube, but it doesn't quite work out like that. Uh, It would be nice if it was that way. That would be a whole lot easier for sure, but... The the hardest thing for me to learn so far is when to turn the camera on, when to turn it off, and I'm still 
I mean, when it comes to YouTubers, I'm still a bit of a hack, but I, I think that some people kind of like the realism that <laughs> not everything goes my way a lot of times. So it, to go out there and try and try and figure out how to best make everything work and explain it in a way that people can understand. Sometimes it comes together. Well, sometimes it doesn't, but there's the worst part of those well, editing relatable though. You know, I mean, it's relatable. Yeah. People like relatable. How much time do you think you spend between filming and editing YouTube a week whenever you're, you know, really pumping out the content? Um, well, let's see right now when I'm doing mostly just stuff around the, the farm and, you know, whatever I'm doing off season wise, I'm probably spending, I'd say six, probably at least probably eight to 10 hours a week. Um, on just that and then during the hunting season it's a little bit harder to kind of figure because you know if you're if you get out there early in the morning set your spread you know how much time do you really count is sure. for youtube i mean you get out there and you talk to people what the game plan is then you show them the decoy spread and then hopefully show them birds doing it right and getting smashed and you know do you you count that as an eight hour day or then plus you know a couple hours of editing it it can it can wildly vary because everyone loves those 30 minute limits too so <laughs> it can it can change it up pretty quick yeah i guess the bottom line is it's not as easy and it's a lot more work than what it looks like on the surface oh yeah so for sure with that said do you have any advice for any aspiring youtubers or somebody that wants to start making their own videos how that i mean because you, you said a hack but obviously <laughs> people don't think you're hack because you've got what 70 <laughs> over 70,000 subscribers. So uh, do you have any advice that you could give to somebody that wants to try their hand at something like this? Uh, the best advice that I could probably give them to start out with is just do it. I mean, the, I had, I had thought probably 10 years ago kind of and toyed with the idea of trying it, but I'm not technologically inclined and didn't know anything about editing and stuff like that. Uh, just, you know, get yourself. I, I use Filmora. It's a cheap, I think, 60 or $70 for a lifetime subscription for editing. It's really easy to do. You know, I, I use a GoPro for 90% of my footage, and it it's really not that hard to do. It's just getting out there and do it and start start and put content out. It, you get better with every video, especially those early ones. From video one to video 10, there's a huge difference when you're figuring out your editing and kind of what your clips are going to need to be and all that stuff. So it's, it's just just like everything else, just you know, get out there and do it. The easiest way to, to learn how to do anything is put your hands on it and rip, make man. it go. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna, it's not going to be nice the first couple of times, and it's going to get frustrating, especially it gets you know, real down in the very beginning when you start out and you know, you're not getting those views and you're trying to get discovered and push stuff out there and it's just not going. A lot of people give up after three videos, but when you start out, what I would recommend is make three videos to start out with. That way when people do find your channel, they don't have just one video to watch. They have a couple different ones and then start from there. And in the very beginning until you get up to a thousand subscribers, don't worry too much about your schedule and how often I try and put up a video every three days. I'm kind of slacking right now and not quite sticking to my program, but 
uh, early on until you get those subscriber numbers. Just put out as much as you can. If it's one a week and then you have a week where you can put out four, do that. Just put it out there and get those hours starting to mount up and, you know, really pay attention to your thumbnail. You want, I'm really, really bad at that, but try and get something that people are interested in when you're scrolling through YouTube and you're not looking for a, a picture of grass with a goose about 30 yards out there that looks like 80 because of the camera. Right. Um, you know, try and try and find something that makes people think, you know, what is that or why should I watch that? Make that, make the title and thumbnail sell the entire video for you. So do those things and that's about the best that I can help you with. That's some good advice, Jordan. All really, really good stuff. And I'm sure eventually you start almost videoing with your editing in mind. You know, how can I make this easier on myself, especially whenever you are doing like yourself and you're trying to do the YouTube stuff on the side, but you're also working a full-time job, you know, because that can probably be intimidating to a lot of people listening. And they say, well, I might have to spend 20 hours a week on this stuff. I'm already working 40 plus. You say, well, mm -hmm. you know, that's, and uh, nobody ever said chasing dreams was, was easy. Uh, no. Nope. So, you know, it is now, what If it I is. can do it, I'm everything sure everyone takes, else can. Everything <laughs> takes hard work and dedication. It just depends on how much how much you want to put into it or how hungry you are. So this summer, next month, we've got Squad Fest coming up. Are you going to be there? Oh, absolutely. I've been so pumped for that. I've been watching the face, uh, Facebook group just waiting for the, the hotel link to pop up there. The day that it did, I was think I was on it within an hour. So <laughs> I was I was excited. I got uh, myself and a couple of buddies were going to come up, and All right. we're, we're looking to have a good time. Heck, yeah, man. And then in August, you're going to come join us at Game Fair again, right? Indeed. Got that. I, I told the scheduling lady who also happens to be my wife that that's just going to have to happen and we're going to move stuff around to make it that way. So oh. it, uh, it made for some complicated stuff on the other end, but we're going to, we're going to find a way through it because that was a great time last year and it was fun to meet a bunch of people up there and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it again. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking forward to having you join us. You know, Jordan, before I let you go, I want to highlight something that you said earlier in this podcast and I think it is awesome advice for somebody that's new to waterfowl hunting and looking to latch on with uh, a friend's group or a group of people that are waterfowlers. And you mentioned you're the guy that you bring the snacks, the food, you know, the, you know, Jordan's actually personally mailed me a lot of different things, sausage, pork chops, all kinds of, all kinds of goodies. But if you don't have anything to contribute as far as, to the actual hunt itself, whether it's it's the land access, um, you know, decoy spread, uh, scouting to pinpoint the birds. If you don't have anything to do with the actual hunt, try to find a way to contribute in other ways, whether it's giving somebody some gas money to help them out because they scouted or giving somebody, throwing them a little money because, you know, they had to pay for that you know, maybe that's a season lease or a day lease, whatever it may be. But I tell you a primo way to stay a part of a group and be everybody's favorite guy in the blind is the dude that brings the snacks. And uh -huh. it's typically like your jerky or your summer sausage, anything that everything tastes better in a duck blind. I don't care what anybody says. I don't know if it's, if we're just like starving or what it is but 
everything tastes better in the field, in the blind, on the water. Uh, so there's your tip of advice I'm going to leave you with that I, I Jordan spoke on it briefly earlier. But if you are new to waterfowl hunting, maybe you are a little intimidated. Maybe you don't have a ton of gear. Maybe you're not the world-class caller, have the world champion dog, whatever. And you try to say, man, how can I contribute to this group of guys? Other other than monetarily, dude, be the snack guy. Like everybody loves the snack guy. Like you can do mm-hmm. no wrong. So if I could give anybody advice that's looking for their place, that's a that's a great role to fill. I'm gonna tell you that. If, right if you can bring uh, bring some high quality snacks, everyone likes the meat products, and everyone. I don't know that there's many people that turn down uh, you know fruit snacks or gummies of some sort no, for some reason. No. Those are those are two things that I I will remember who brought that. Especially if you have a guy who brings snacks and then also doesn't hesitate when it's time to pick up and you know isn't sitting there watching people sure. take the brush off the blind. They're out there picking up all the decoys, asking no how to doubt. do stuff. You put in the work to bring food, you most likely will have a spot next time. No doubt about it. Everybody remembers everybody remembers that guy that gets after it, picking up decoys, picking up trash, rolling up blinds, carrying the heaviest bags or the heaviest equipment, just doing the stuff that we all know good and well that nobody really wants to do. People, the people that are running the show with that hunt or involved in that hunt, I guarantee you they notice it because it's it's universal across the board. We see it everywhere. There's always little jobs that they're just jobs that nobody really wants to do. It's funny. We started a new little series on Tuesday. It's called the Denim Danglers Do's and Don'ts. It's Matt Judy basically talking about things that you can do in the field that's it's it's a good look and things you don't need to do that's a bad look you know that might get you uninvited or not you know much respect among your waterfowl hunting peers and yesterday his first one was being the guy that soon as it comes time to pick up the guy that suddenly like disappears or has to take a phone call or gets on his phone and is snapchatting and instagramming and all that stuff now if you're like a media guy and you're legitimately like taking photos or some video clips okay that's one thing if you are a media guy and that's your job or your position but if you're just a gun on the hunt or you're a part of the hunt and you just happen to always have to take phone calls or seem to work really 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 slow whenever that pickup time comes people don't forget that you might not get called out on it directly the first time or a few times but i promise people notice so that was some good advice from Judy yesterday, and I'm sure he'll be bringing a lot more every week. But keep that in mind. Be a good contributor to the group, the hunt. Be a guy that people like being around, and if you're looking for other ways to contribute, snacks are always awesome. Jordan, you uh, got anything to add, man? I've had you for about 45 minutes now, and I know that you've got a decision to make whether – you're going to get back to work or not. So I don't want to hold you up any, any longer, but I do look forward to seeing you next month. And you got anything else for us? Uh, Not really. I just hope that a bunch of people show up again for squad fest. I'm sure it's going to be bigger and better than the first one. And I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of people that I see there in the Facebook group all the time. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that I won't remember the name to. I'll be like, Hey, 
that face is pretty familiar. So I'm looking sure. forward to meeting a bunch of people then. And other than that, no, I I'm don't really have anything else to contribute. <laughs> All right, Jordan. Well, man, I uh, appreciate you hopping on a call with me today. Always good catching up. And I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your week. And I'm sure I'll be talking to you very soon, my friend. Right on. Okay, Jordan. We'll see you, buddy. See you. Bye. All right, Jordan Nisley, you can find him on YouTube, Jordan's Harvest. He also has an Instagram as well. I believe it's Jordan's underscore Harvest, I think so. Anyway, that was a good time. Jordan's a great guy, and he's become a great friend, and we're uh, very thankful for him and the way he pushes and supports our brand. He's extremely supportive in all of our social media outlets, and uh, we just really appreciate that. Like we've already alluded to, Squad Fest is coming up. It'll be here next month. We can't wait. It's going to be bigger and better than it was last year. Huge prizes on the line. And the calling contest, the Retriever Combine, is going to be a blast. Cornhole tournament, live music, food trucks, beer trailers, Tons of great vendors. You guys don't want to miss it. Until next time, y'all be good. Thank you for listening.